Lord God, I thank you that we're a people who are different. We are people who are not afraid to walk against the tide. We, we're a people who are not afraid to, to stand out in a crowd. We're a people who, who carry a message that is so effective that, that it cannot be hidden. hidden. It's like a light, light that shines into the nations. It's like a city set on a hill, Lord God, that there is something that we are carrying that is unquenchable, unstoppable, unstoppable. And so, Father, I, I want to pray that as we share around the word today, as we talk about kingdom life, Lord God, I want to pray that you would, you would touch us with what we need to know. You would touch those places in our heart where we've been disappointed or we've stepped out in you and things didn't work. Lord God, would you come and speak there? Lord God, in those places where we have, we've grown weary, we've been doing things. And Lord God, we've just been doing them over and over and over. And we were expecting a certain result, Lord God, but something else happened, Lord God. And right now, or nothing happened, Lord God, right now I speak to those parts of our hearts. Lord God, and I say, would you speak to them today? Would you help all of us, Lord God, to come to a greater revelation of your goodness, your grace, your majesty, your truth. Lord God, thank you that you are a faithful God. That, Lord God, we don't have to trust in our own abilities. We don't even have to trust in our own wisdom, Lord God. We can trust you. We can trust you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we are continuing with our series called Kingdom Life, and the tagline to this is be different. We are trusting that we will be the kind of church that will make a difference in this world, that we will be the kind of people who would, who would walk out of step with the world and in step with the, with the beat of Jesus' drum. Indeed, Jesus is at the center of everything. And we are, we are hoping that this series will do that for you, that it will, it will bring everything into focus. It will put everything in the right place. It will help you to live out the Jesus desires that are already in your heart. I know many of you have started connect groups and you will have been working through the book Kingdom Life Skills. If, you, if you're not working through that Bible study book, please feel free to get one at the Get Connected table. But we are trusting that this, these revelations would permeate not only your life, but permeate the life of the church. They would permeate your life outside of the church. They would permeate everything you do. Amen. We had eight baptisms this morning. Isn't that amazing? Can we give the Lord a hand? I see some people who were baptized this morning. Just want to say proud of you. Thank you. I saw someone. Where have they gone? You got baptized this morning. Woo-hoo-hoo. Anybody else yet? There we go. Who else got baptized? Raise your hand if you got baptized this morning. We want to celebrate with you. So lovely. So lovely. Kingdom life be different. That's what you're doing. You're choosing to say, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to walk the Jesus way. I'm, go, I'm going to turn my back on everything that is not the Jesus way. I'm going to put Jesus at the very center of everything I do and say. Amen. So we are looking at Jesus at the center of your time today. You know, time's a really funny thing. Have you noticed? I mean, five minutes on Instagram, just five minutes on Instagram, and you look up and the clocks move like a whole hour. I mean, what is that? What is that? 
at the gym, you're on that treadmill, and I mean, you are sweating it, eh? I mean, you are giving it your all, and 45 minutes has gone by, and you look down at the timer, and it says five minutes. You understand what I'm talking about? You understand? I mean, time is a funny thing. I mean, the, the, clock, the clock ticks at one second every second, but somehow, that's not how we experience time. Somehow, as we go about our life, you know, things that we wanted to get to, we don't ever get to. And, you know, things that we don't want to do just seem to crowd in left, right, and center. And we find ourselves inundated with busyness. And I want to propose this to you. is that the Christian life is not an overly busy life. It's a fulfilled life. But it's not necessarily a busy, rushed life. That the Christian life is a life that's in step with the Spirit of God. The Christian life is a life that is revolving around who Jesus is. The Christian life is a life that, that is hand in hand with your Creator, and you are hearing and walking according to His pace. And the beauty of it is, is that He's exactly on time. He's exactly in the right place. And if we can, we can avoid the messages that are coming continuously through advertising, through your stressed out boss, through your irritated classmate, that you're not doing enough, you've got to get in line, you've got to make it happen, that, that you've just got to do more, do more, do more. Now, there is, there is some truth for some of you. There are some of you who maybe need to do some more things. I, I don't want to negate that. But do more of the right things and less of the wrong things. A mantra that I use in my life, when I feel that busyness just like crowd in, I, you know that, and that, that anxiety starts rising in you. It's like you feel like you're failing before you've even got out of bed. It's like, you know, I just I can't get to everything I have to do. I have this thing that I remind myself with. I say this, Lord, today I have enough time to do everything you're telling me to do. I don't have time for more, and I won't do less. Lord, show me and guide me. You know, those are the days, those are the days where people call up and say, hey, Carol, I'm so sorry I can't make my appointment. And I'm like, mwah. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know, that, that's, that's the time when you get to pick and pay with those groceries. And for some wild reason, it's like the parting of the Red Seas. Every other till has like queues to the end of everywhere. And you just stand at that kill and you just walk up to that till and there's no one there. Amen. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like Jesus organizes things. It's like when Jesus is at the center of everything, things work. Things happen right. You know, those are the days when I do perhaps get stuck in traffic or stuck in some place. But then I'm there and because he's the center, I start praying and things start coming to mind. So that when I walk into whatever situation I'm arriving at, that I ended up taking longer to get there than I thought, it's like I have a plan. It's like God orchestrated time for me to just be with him so I could figure it out, so he could help me figure it out. Jesus at the center makes all the difference. 
Now, what's really interesting is that God doesn't look at time quite the same way as we do. I mean, have you noticed? You know, you get that prophecy, soon, soon, soon your breakthrough is coming. Like, like a couple of years later, you just, you're hanging on to that word. It's like, just with your fingernails. God's soon is not always the same as our soon. And you know, and in addition, I mean, sometimes you just don't feel ready for something. I mean, you just, it's like, God, please, you know, not that thing, and bam, it just lands on your lap. I mean, who is ready for that first baby? I mean, never, never, but there it is. And for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life, you're dealing with that. I mean, it's like, it's like God, God's view of time is just a little bit different from ours. So interestingly enough, he's not shy about that. He's really not shy about that. So there are two words in the New Testament that are translated time. And the first one is chronos, and it means the exact time and event. And you have a scripture there to show that it's a real word, and it's actually in the Bible. And it's, it's what we would look at a clock and see. It's like if someone says they're going to arrive at 4, 4 p.m., that's chronos time. But then there's another word that is used all over the Bible. And it's called kairos time. Well, the word is kairos. The Greek word is kairos. And it also is translated in your Bible time. Exact same word used. But it's not quite the same kind of time. It's like the God time. And it may mean season. It's the appointed time. It's like the right time. If any of you grew up in more rural areas, it's like the time that wedding starts. When does it start? When everyone's there, when it's the right time. You all understand what I'm talking about. I mean, poor me, I, it took me years to understand that I have waited at wedding venues for hours. Like, what? But there's, there's this concept in the Bible of Kairos time. It's, it says in Romans 5 verse 6 that, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for us. When, you know, it's, it's almost like God didn't necessarily have an exact date on the calendar. It was like he was waiting for everything to be in place. And when so everyone's there, everyone's at the party, bam, Christ is born. Now, he may have had an exact date at the, on the calendar. I'm not sure about that. But, but the concept of Kairos time is that it's not an exact time. It's, it's the right time. It's the fullness of time. And there's something about grasping that concept that helps you navigate Jesus at the center of your time. It helps you overcome disappointments. It helps you navigate God's word to you. And it helps you understand that sometimes when something isn't happening when you thought it would, you might be the problem. You know, that, that God, God is working with you to bring you to the right place. That he can do that. And when's the right time? When you're there, when you're ready. The right time, the appointed time, or the season. So I want to go to a story about a man who really understood Kairos time. His, he wrote a book in the Bible called Daniel because his name was Daniel. He figured, let's keep that 
keep that simple. But he, he understood the timing of God. And I'm going to read a whole chapter, to, well, nearly a whole chapter for you. Are you all ready for that? The reason I don't have it up there is because it's too long. So you, if you would like to, you can open your Bibles to Daniel 6, and I'm going to read it to you. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. <laughs> then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May the God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. 
Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found in him because he was trusting in his God. And the king commanded that and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives, Lord Jesus, have mercy. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and language that dwelt in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. <laughs> talk about, talk about being different. Talk about saying, it, Jesus is the center of all my time. Talk about just having everything revolve around God. This was Daniel. This was Daniel. And when he lived like that, can you see how his, his life was like a spear that just cut through the prevailing thinking, that cut through the prevailing busyness, the prevailing nonsense that was going on in his society. And he stood up like a shining light at the end, and everything was different. I just, I sometimes laugh about those lines, but not often because, gosh, the women and children, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like horrifying. But I had one preacher way back said, he used it as a tithing message, and he was like, listen, this is how it works. You're a lion, and you're in this den, and the first person comes down, and the Lord said to you, that's the tithe, that's the first fruits, don't touch it. You don't touch it, it's removed, and then, bam! Anyway, so from the lion's perspective, it was really a good day. you know, Daniel, how was he able to live this kind of exemplary life? I mean, how was he able? You know, I, when I read this, I, I'm, I'm just like stunned by the statement in verse 3. It says, Then this day Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Now, who wrote this? Daniel. But here's the thing. He didn't say I was excellent. He said an excellent spirit was in him. You know why I love that? Because it's alluding to something. It's like, it's not about your excellence. It's not about you trying hard. It's not like, gosh, I've just got to get this time thing right. Where's my diary? Let's organize this. Let's make it happen. No. He's saying, I wasn't, I wasn't able to have these victories because I was a fantastic person. It's because there was one living in me. That is so excellent. That is so perfect. That is so right. That is so good. And I'm his. It's like Daniel knew who he was. He knew that he was a servant of the Most High God. He knew that he was a man with God inside him. He knew that he was a son of God. I was going to say a son or a daughter, but he knew he wasn't a daughter. I'm pretty sure of that. But we can know that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And the first thing to getting this right is this very thing. Is that we're going to have to know who we are. Because I'm telling you this. It's, I mean, I have tried to get my time right, organize my life right. How many times? I can do it for a day or two and then everything falls apart. But... 
instead of trying to organize my time, I say things like this. What do I believe? Who am I? Who am I and what do I believe? How, how would someone who is this person live out their life? And that informs what I do and what I don't do. It's like my belief system is reflected in my diary and in my banking transactions. And I feel like for everyone, this is, this is so important that we, we stop trying to organize things from the outside and we say, we answer this question, who am I in God? Who am I? What, what kind of spirit resides in me? Is the work I'm producing, is the way I'm living reflective of who lives inside of me? Am I allowing him to dictate how I live? And I feel like that changes everything. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. <laughs> you know, just in case you were doubting who you are. The moment you said to yes to Jesus, you became something you were not before. And it's glorious and it's beautiful. And you will spend the rest of your life discovering who he made you in that instant. And the part of the way you discover is you allow him to dictate what you do and what you don't do. When you do it and when you don't do it. A question I often ask myself to kind of regulate is, is, is this what sons or daughters of God do? Is this just something that a son of God would do? Is this something that a daughter of God would do? And that helps organize my choices. In Daniel 6, he makes this, he writes this about the situation. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper changer, chamber apart open toward Jerusalem. Sorry, I didn't read that very well. Let me try again. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. It's like Daniel chose the place he lived so that he'd constantly be thinking about <coughs> Jerusalem. It's not clear in the portion of scripture that I read, but Daniel was part of a group of exiles that had been taken by the Babylonian kingdom out of Jerusalem and kept captive in their capital city of Babylon. So he was living there away from the promises of God, away from his native land. And yet his lifestyle was constantly saying this, I know who I belong to. I know who my family is. I know what people I am of. For Christians, sometimes this gets confusing. Because the demands of the world on your life are so big that it's often easy to step out of the family of God and, and identify with the world's ways. Suddenly you find yourself chasing the things that the world chases. 
You find yourself going after and prioritizing the priorities of the world. I'm, go I'm going to give you a mind illustration. Is that okay? Can you imagine with me a couple getting married? And the wife comes from a family where the mantra that she's grown up with day in, day out is, you always win. Whatever you do, you must win. We, the Kumalos, win. Are there any Kumalos here? It's true, but you win because you're in Jesus. She didn't know that. She just thought she won because she, we, must, we must win. She marries a man, and he's from a completely different family. He's, he's grown up knowing that we win in Jesus, that we already won. I mean, I want, you, I want you to picture the games nights at this family. Can you for a moment? I mean, the children are young, so it's still snakes and ladders games. And you know, the mom throws a six, and she's picking up her counter. Bam! Yes, got it! You're all losers. I won. I mean, can, can, you, can you picture the family volleyball games later? I mean... Old Johnny, he's got the ball, he's about to hit him. Mom, get up. Yes, one. I mean, can you picture that? And at some stage, maybe her husband would sit her down and say, darling, darling, in this family, I know where you came from, but in this family, we know that we've already won. That we've already won in Jesus. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove. In this family, we always love. In this family, we always love. Would that not change everything? And I feel like for so many of us, we've come into this new family. And there's some old mantras that we grew up with or where the world is trying to place on us, some, some ways of doing things. And, and we have to consciously strip those off and say, no, this is how my family does it. I'm, I'm of this family. I'm of the Jesus family, the family that always loves. The families whose highest goal is the glory of God, not their individual wins. He knew what family he belonged to. He knew what family he belonged to. He kept it in front of his mind. Ephesians 5, 15 to 18 says this, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of your time. It uses that word kairos there. And when it says make the best use of your time, it's actually saying buy back the kairos. Buy back the season. Buy back the season. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery and be filled with the Spirit. I mean, it's like a wild tag on the end. But it's alluding to a Daniel who was filled with the Spirit of Excellence. He's saying that the way you redeem time, the way you buy back your kairos is to walk away from the world's ways of solving things and embrace the Jesus way of solving things. Be filled with his spirit and organize your entire life with Jesus at the center. Yeah. 
a question I often ask when I'm, when I'm in difficult situations and it's, it's hard to know what's right and what to do, I ask myself this question, what values am I embracing? Whose values am I embracing? And lastly, it says in Daniel 6, 10 again, the second half of that verse, it says, he got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he'd done previously. This is such a wild moment. Because when we read that story, it's tempting to think that, that somehow he was obeying the, the law of God. You know, that he was, he was praying three times as he was supposed to do towards Jerusalem. There is no law in the Old Testament that says you must pray three times a day. Much more says pray continuously. But, but you know, there's no law that says you must pray, pray three times a day. Nor is there a law that says you must pray towards Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. But this was clearly a habit of his. Why was it a habit of his? Because there is another scripture and it's a long scripture. There it all is. You can take a picture of it and go and read it at, at home in 1 Kings 8, 46 to 50. Is when they built the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon was dedicating it. And he prayed this prayer at the dedication. I'm going to paraphrase it. He said this, Lord, when we, when we sin, and everyone sins, Lord, and you send another nation to take over and take us into exile. And Lord, when we are in exile and we turn and we repent and we pray towards the temple, this temple that, that we are dedicating here, when we pray toward that temple, would you have mercy on us? Would you forgive us? And would you turn the hearts of our captives to have mercy on us? Can you see what Daniel was doing? This wasn't just like a religious practice. Daniel had the mission in mind. He was saying, God's ultimate plan is for Israel to go back to their home. And I'm going to be a part of that mission. And I'm going to do my part. I am going to. Because it says later after Solomon made that dedication prayer that God said, yes, I hear your prayers. It's a done deal. So in other words, he knew that if he prayed like that, God would hear him. And he knew that he was partnering with the will of God to bring Israel home. And he was unwilling in the face of persecution to give up the mission. What does that look like in our time management? What does that look like in our time management? I'll give you some example of my life, but I have, I am committed to the Great Commission, which is to make disciples of all nations. What does that mean? Is that I constantly either lead a connect group or I'm reaching out to people who know, don't know Jesus through a connect group or one-on-one. -on -one. Some of them work out, some of them don't work out. So I, I had this kind of crop of people who were outside the church and didn't know Jesus so well or whatever that I'd been reaching out to. And, and you know what? Every one of them got saved over time. 
And I started this year with no unbelievers in my life. A lovely experience, but also, it's like, how do I do the mission when I don't know any unbelievers? So if I'm walking a bit funny, it's because I decided I'm going to go and join some classes at the gym where unbelievers are. So I joined a Zumba class. That's an experience all of its own. And I went and joined an adult ballet class. <coughs> guys, guys, that's why I'm walking funny. Because man, this mission thing is painful on the legs, you know? And what's my plan? My plan is to just get to know these people, become their friends. Because, you know, I, I messaged one of them this morning and I just said, hey, missed you at ballet yesterday. I'm too sore to get out of bed. How are you? And what, what's my plan? My plan is to get into their life and bring their bring the mission to them. I'm hearing such an every nation saying right here. I'm going to start a question, start a conversation, ask questions, listen and tell the story. Salt. That's what I'm going to do. Why? Because I'm organizing all my life around the mission. And on Saturday, I really didn't feel like that adult battle ballet class. You know, I was like, I'm just going to look like a fool again. But hey, I went. Why? Not for the ballet. I went for the people. Daniel was organizing all of his time around the mission. And I want to propose you that's what a life looks like with Jesus at the center. Yeah. Is that the mission is not your own personal well-being, but it's, but it's the mission of God on earth today. The beauty of it is that the end, all of your detractors' persecution gets eaten by lions. That's the good news is that if you maintain this course, that's how dramatically God comes through for you. You take care of his mission, he'll take care of yours. <coughs> Colossians 4, 5 and 6 says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Again, it uses that same phrase, buy back kairos, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer. You ought to answer each person. The way we redeem time, the way we buy back time, is we make sure that our life is orientated around the mission, the outsiders. How do we make outsiders insiders? And a question I ask myself is, how am I working on God's mission today? And there have been days when I've called people up and said, I can't meet with you today, I'm sorry. I've made another time with him, but what, am I, what was I doing? I realized that there was no time in my day for the mission. So I cut some things out so that I could be about God's mission. In conclusion, Putting Jesus at the center of your time comes from knowing who you are, to which family you belong, and what your mission is. It's results, it results in peace even in the lion's den. When you're doing what God has told you to do, nothing more and nothing less, you will find yourself being victorious in places 
in outstanding ways that you had never imagined. Amen.